Let's turn to 1 Kings, first of all, in chapter 9. 1 Kings in chapter 9. came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire which he was pleased to do that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon the Lord said unto him I have heard thy prayers and thy supplication that thou hast made before me I have therefore I have hallowed this house which thou hast built and to built to put my name there forever and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And if thou wilt walk before me, as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But... If ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them. And this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people, And at this house which is high, every one that passeth by it shall be astonished, and shall hiss. And they shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto this land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. Amen. Thank the Lord for this short reading of his word. We're going to turn now to first John, the first epistle of John. First epistle of John right at the end of your Bible and chapter 4. <clears throat> you go back to the back of your Bible, you'll find Revelation, then before that Jude, and before that John 3, John 2, and John 1. And we're in John, first John and chapter th- chapter 4 we begin our reading at verse 7 beloved let us love one another for love is of god and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if, so, if God so loved us, We ought also to love one another. 
No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him, because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Amen. We thank the Lord for this reading of his word. Let's unite our hearts together uh, for a word of prayer before him. Now, Father, we give thanks again that we can come into thy presence. And we thank you for your word. And we thank you for those things that are recorded, for your servants, Lord, who wrote these things so many years ago. We thank you, Lord, for their experience of being in the presence of the Most High. And, Lord, for those things which thou didst instruct and teach them, being the apostles of the Lord. And Father, we pray that we might have understanding of the things which are written here. And, Lord, sometimes the words uh, run in such a way as to uh, confuse us. But Lord, we pray that thou wilt give us a clarity of understanding here tonight. Lord, that we might know the love of God in our own hearts. That we might serve thee because we love thee. We pray, our Father, that thou wilt continue with us this evening. Bless our souls. And Lord, we pray that there may be peace in believing. So hear us, we ask, and continue with us tonight. We ask these things in the Saviour's name. Praying that thou wilt give me the words to speak. And all of us ears to hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to take as my text this evening that 18th verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. It's a quite well-known verse, and yet one which perhaps you've not heard preached on before. And I want to consider it really in the context of how we love the Lord and how we serve the Lord and the path that the Lord takes us down when we walk with him. And read in the scripture of some who have walked with God, Noah walked with God, Enoch walked with God, and of course the psalmist speaks often of the walk with the Lord. And if you are a Christian here tonight, then you walk with the Lord. And as we walk with the Lord, so there is a path that he takes us down. And I want to consider it in that way, uh, in our service to him, in our uh, purposes being alongside his purposes and all that we might do to glorify his name. So I want to consider it under these three heads. First of all, the grip of fear, the grip of fear. Secondly, the growth of friendship. And then thirdly and finally, the grace of fellowship, the grip of fear. 
When we think about the grip of fear, it says here, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. And yet we read in the scripture concerning the fear of the Lord being the beginning of knowledge. So the fear of the Lord there, there comes first. And we might ask the question, well, how can we fear God and love God? Uh, what is this about? Uh, why does the Old Testament say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge? And in the New Testament, it says that love, perfect love casteth out fear. Which, which is it? Are we to fear God or are we to love God? And do these things work together? Do they run into each other? Is there some path that we might follow through from fear to love well to start with as we think about the grip of fear we think about how the fear is that thing which so often brings a person to christ in the first place the bible tells us that the law brings us under conviction of sin what is that well it is when we begin and to realize that we are sinners and not only that we are sinners but god will judge us for that sin and that we cannot spend eternity with him in glory while we are yet sinners. Uh, we need that sin to be dealt with. We need a work uh, somehow. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to be able to come before God and for him to look upon us as being sinless. This is the work of Christ, of course. But it begins with a fear. And so often, uh, the, those who have come to trust in Christ, and we might even say always, those who come to trust in Christ begin with a fear of their sin and the consequences of it. We read in some of the uh, great revivals of the past how the people were afraid and they fell down where they stood uh, on the street and cried out for mercy. Uh, there's a story told of one in Northern Ireland when uh, the comedian Tommy Cooper died, uh, how that he phoned up the minister to come and to see him and to lead him to Christ. And the minister said, well, why didn't you come round to the manse? Why don't you come round to my house and I'll, I'll talk to you there? And he says, no, I'm not going out the door. I, I could be killed on the way. And he was so frightened, so fearful, uh, that he wanted someone to come to him and to lead him to Christ. And that kind of fear uh, has come often in times of revival when the Spirit of God has come down and hundreds or thousands have been turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And people have cried out in, in anguish because of their sins and the sudden realization that if their life ended at this point, they would stand before God and God would judge them. They would be cast into hell and that without any remedy and without any salvation and without any hope and that great wave of terror overcame them and they cried out to the Lord for salvation and the Lord saved them there and then. So when we think about the grip of fear then, the grip of fear can be a good thing. Uh, the grip of fear in all kinds of uh, situations of life can be a good thing. We learn a lot through fear and uh, uh, we like it when our children begin to fear the oncoming traffic and they're not anymore uh, considering just wandering across the road uh, but they recognize that there is a danger here uh, when our children begin to realize that climbing up on things if it's not safe if it's not st uh, um, stable can also cause them damage and injury and they begin to fear to do those things and we realize that fear has a, a great importance to us. It keeps us from many troubles. So when we think about the grip of fear, then there is a grip of fear which takes hold of us when we fear God. 
And we fear God because God is the ultimate authority. There is no appeal when God brings forth a judgment upon us in that great day of judgment. There will be no appeal in this country. In these days, there are appeals after appeals, it seems. You you can go perhaps to a um, magistrate's court and be found guilty. You might take that in appeal and be found innocent or you might be found guilty again. But then you can take it to a further appeal. And another appeal after that, and then I'm not quite sure what the situation is now, but there was the, uh, the European Court of Human Rights, and people would go there as well and appeal again, and all of these different appeals. But when God makes the judgment, there is no appeal. There is no appeal, because there is no higher court than God, because there is no one who judges God, because God is the judge, because God is the creator, and God is the final arbiter. And so here we have this grip of fear. It's a good thing to fear God. It is the beginning of wisdom. It is the beginning of knowledge. So when we think about this grip of fear, then we have the revelation of fear, first of all. In 1 Samuel 11 and verse 7, some of you will remember this as we were studying uh, the, the, that book uh, for some time. Uh, it speaks of that time when Saul was going to fight against the enemies of the men of Jabesh Gilead and he took a yoke of oxen it says and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coasts of Israel by the hands of messengers saying whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel so shall it be done unto his oxen and then it continues and the fear of the Lord fell on the people and they came out with one consent they were afraid not to come it wasn't just afraid for their oxen But there was a fear of God upon them. And they feared God and they came out that they might fight a battle. They weren't soldiers, they were just ordinary people. But the call had come upon them and the fear of God was upon them and they came forth. So there is a a revelation of this fear and the grip of fear. But the scripture also says in Proverbs 19.23 that the fear of the Lord tendeth to life. And he that hath it shall abide satisfied He shall not be visited with evil. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. That is, that the fear of the Lord has a benefit to us. The fear itself is not a thing that we want. We don't want to be fearful. We don't want to be terrified. Uh, We don't want to be unable to sleep at night because of fear. But nevertheless, the fear of God will bring us to a point which brings us to to desire and to want life, that we desire life, that we desire joy, that we desire peace, that we desire to whatever it is that's causing this fear uh, to stop. And the fear of the Lord tendeth to life. And indeed in Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. And as I said before, there are many snares of death, aren't there, and, and dangers. And uh, perhaps we've had some of those. If you're older and you've had more experience of life, you may have had uh, some of those fears. I can remember times when uh, that, that stay in my memory. And you know what my memory is like, perhaps uh, not great, but uh, I can remember times of, of fear. And um, I remember one time I was uh, racing down the road when in my teens, uh, 17, I think, in, the, in a car, and I was racing down the road against somebody else, which is illegal because that's street racing. That's what we were doing, and he overtook someone, and I overtook them, and there was a car coming the other way, and I thought, I'm not going to make this, and there's going to be a pile-up, and I'm going to be dead. No seatbelts in those days either, but I still remember that. And, of course, after that, then you're much more careful, much more careful to make sure that if you do overtake someone, you can get in. 
And so the fear of the Lord does tend to life. And the fear of the Lord also is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. And there are many traps, aren't there, out there? Not necessarily intentional traps, but traps nevertheless where we can lose our life. And certainly there are traps for the soul in multitude. So there is this revelation of the grip of fear, and then there is its rationality. Why does God work with us through fear? Why does God want us to to be fearful? Why why doesn't he just overwhelm us with his love? That's the the modern way of of preaching the gospel, I suppose. Uh, And and people say, well, God God loves you, and God desires you, and God really wants you to come and to to love him back, and he really needs you to to love him and to accept his his gracious gift of salvation. And, And God is lovely, and why don't you come and give him a big cuddle? But that's not the way God works. Because that is not the kind of love that he wants. He, he doesn't want us just to, to make overtures to him and, and feel all, all, all fuzzy and, and, and uh, comfortable in his presence in that way. He wants us to realize who he is. I suppose when we consider uh, in a family, uh, when you have little children, there are times when you might uh, scold your children. And particularly when they're little. And of course... They love you and they're dependent upon you and uh, you're all they know. How much their love is a a real love or uh, as is sometimes termed a cupboard cupboard love, we can't really tell. Uh, But certainly they will come to us. But perhaps you catch them at something which they shouldn't be doing uh, with their black big black felt pen on the wallpaper or something. And uh, you go out and you find them there and they're writing... Uh, scribbles all over the wallpaper that you've you've just spent a fortune on uh, someone putting it up for you and you may go out and and just and scold them what are you doing and they jump and and they're they're frightened they are fearful Uh, they think they're in trouble they think you're going to attack them they they don't know really what how to how to uh, uh, to to handle this this fear which has come upon them and that is the kind of fear that we should have of God. We should realize that God is, is so powerful, so mighty, that he can end our lives in a moment. And there is nothing that we can do. That God is able to judge us in a moment. And there is nothing that we can answer. Because God does not judge unrighteously. He is always righteous. He will always be right. And when we come into judgment with God, we will always agree with that judgment. On that day... When men and women are cast into hell and God says to them, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, they will know absolutely and concur that God's judgment is the correct judgment. They will know and they will depart from him with the absolute knowledge that he was right and there is no answer. There are people who think to themselves, well, if I ever meet God, if there is a God, then I will say to him this and I will say to them him that. Scripture speaks and Jesus speaks of that day under the illustration of a parable. And he says that the person who was found without a wedding garment was speechless. Speechless. Could not utter a word. There was nothing he could say. If you went into that room and the uh, black pen all over the wall and the child is holding the pen and they are mid-stroke 
and you shout at them, they didn't realize you were there, and you say, what are you doing? They can't really turn around and say, well, it wasn't me, because they're standing with a pen. They're halfway through a line. And that is exactly how we will stand before God in the day of judgment. But there is a rationality to fear. And as we have said and quoted already from the Proverbs, uh, we will quote another couple of those Proverbs. First of all, Proverbs 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of knowledge. The word in the Hebrew, da'ath, means a perception or discernment. The fear of the Lord brings us to a position where we understand that we have fallen short, that we are sinners, that there is a corruption, that there is something wrong with us, and that there is something which flows from us. And it's not just that other people lead us astray, but we wanted to be led astray. We wanted to do the things that we were doing. We begin suddenly to have a perception when we fear God. And the child, of course, writing on the wall with his black pen, may not realize that he's doing wrong. But he does after he is judged. He does after he has been reprimanded. Then he understands. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We begin to understand what sin is when we come into the presence of God and the fear of God comes upon us, we realize what we are, that we are sinners. But then also in Proverbs, in chapter 9 and verse 10, we read the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. This word, chokmah, uh, it means a shrewdness or a prudence. And wisdom is, of course, application. Wisdom is making right choices. Wisdom is understanding what the choices are. Not just seeing that this is wrong and that is right, but how we might manipulate ourselves, how we might maneuver ourselves into doing that which is good and that which is right. The wise person is someone who knows when to stop, knows when to go, knows what to choose, or knows how and when to be careful, picks up on those signs that there is some danger here. There are many people, of course, who have been taken in in these days by scams on the on telephone as someone phones them up and says to them, oh, this is your bank, and they don't know what bank it is. Uh, they name the bank, that they want to know things from you, which they should know if they are your bank. And they say, well, we'd like you to move your money from this account to that account, and so many have fallen for it. And surely if we have wisdom, if we have a, a shrewdness, we would begin to answer, we would begin to ask questions about this. Well, why, why do you want me to do this? There's something not right here. And you have phoned me. I didn't phone you. People have said to me before, uh, they've phoned up, and these have been legitimate people who have phoned me and said to me uh, uh, that, that this is, uh, I don't know who it might be, an insurance company or something like that, and... Uh, they say, well, we need to put you through some security questions. And immediately I think you're putting, you phone me and you want me to answer your security questions. Why? You've got my number. You asked me who I was. I told you who I was. I wouldn't know who you were expecting if you had phoned the wrong number. Why do you need me to answer a security question? 
And of course, the, the, the wise thing to do then is, is to contact your bank, but not on the same phone. Get another phone, borrow a phone, and phone your bank from a different place. And ask them the question, was this you? And very often you'll get the answer, no, it wasn't us. We never phone, we never phone our customers, and we never ask them questions. So wisdom is a different thing to knowledge. Knowing about these things and actually putting the, 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 the things into practice is a different thing. But here, this fear, this fear has a rationality about it. First of all, the fear of the Lord tells us what sin is. And secondly, the fear of the Lord begins to make us think, well, I want to avoid fear, uh, I want to avoid uh, error and sin, so how can I do that? So there is a rationality to this grip of fear. The Lord begins by taking us in. He begins by asserting his authority so that we know who he is, that he is the Almighty, that he is the judge of all the earth, that to cross him will mean to be cast out from his presence. And then he begins to instruct us as to what sin is and how we might live our lives and how we might know the blessing of the Lord. And then when we consider this group of fear, there is a reality about it. And there are many, of course, who say no fear. Oh, I don't fear God. In fact, the psalmist says uh, that the fool hath no fear of God before his eyes. It's the fool who does not fear God. And uh, there are many fools who say, I don't fear God. I have no fear of God. In Revelation 6 and verse 15, we read this. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? There is a fear. And there may be so many who say uh, in this day and age, we don't fear God. We don't believe there is a God. When we, if there was a God, then well, we, we wouldn't follow him. But in that day, in the day of judgment, then we'll fear God. And the terror of the Lord will be upon them. And in that day, there will be no way back. And there will be no recourse to salvation. It is a good thing to fear the Lord. But having come into that situation where we begin by fearing the Lord, uh, there begins a, a walk with the Lord. Uh, the, the fear of the Lord tendeth to life, it says. In fact, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And so as we begin to fear the Lord, we begin to be aware of the Lord, the teachings of the Lord, the, the presence of the Lord, the sins which so easily beset us and, and draw us into the world, we begin to be aware of our failings and our weaknesses and our desires after righteousness and to walk with him. And there begins a growth of friendship as we commune with him. First of all, there's a recognition of his care, the very fact that he cares about us, that he cares that we know that he is there, that there is a judgment to come. The world thinks that it's a terrible thing that, that God should judge us. But it's an even more terrible thing for those who don't realize that he's going to judge them. And when that day comes in an instant and they stand before God and that's their first inkling that there is a God. And the judgment of God is upon them. 
That's a far worse thing. And so the beginning of this growth of friendship is to recognize that we are, we came into the house of God, we came into the church. And we came into the church because God moved us to come. Because he cares. And we might come into the house of God and we might go out with the fear of God, but that's because he cares. And we begin to recognize how he cares. 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. A recognition of his care for us. And then as we continue on this life of faith, because we are believing in God and we're beginning to, to recognize who he is and and how that we, we desire to walk with him rather than the world, and, uh, and we fear the destruction which comes from a, a walk apart from him, and, and we desire the blessing of his presence. As we continue on that path, we begin to recognize in that growth of friendship a recognition of commitment, that he is committed to us. Now, we are so often not committed to him, but he is committed to us, our Motto this year, a motto text. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such thing as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. That the Lord is committed. We like commitment. We like to know who we can trust. We like to know who will stand with us. And it is when uh, that, that uh, close friend uh, might leave us or... Uh, might abandon us in some way that that hurts the most <clears throat> those people that we trust but we can trust the lord he will never leave us nor forsake us and so there is this recognition of these things and then there's a, a relationship which grows and of course any any interaction between two people is a is a relationship it may be a, a, a customer and salesman relationship there's a relationship it may be a teacher or a child uh, that's a relationship, whatever uh, interaction we might have with anybody, a shopkeeper and, uh, and you buying uh, some sweets in the shop or whatever else it may be, that's a relationship. But this relationship begins to grow as we walk in the fear of the Lord. A relationship of communion. And we read together from 1 Kings 9. And how that the Lord said, And if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded thee and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever. As I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But if ye shall at all turn from following me, or your children will not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them. And this house which I have hallowed by my name will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. And there is a relationship, a communion between us and the Lord. Where is that relationship going? Where is that relationship with you today? Are you walking with the Lord? Are you in communion with the Lord? Have you perhaps turned away and not kept the commandments 
and followed after other gods, the gods of this world, to worship them, to give them your time, your effort, your desire, your love. What, what is our communion? Of course, the fear of the Lord is useful here again because we fear to lose communion with God. And even though there are times when perhaps our communion is with the world rather than with God, yet we are always aware, because we fear God, that we are in, a, in dangerous places, slippery places, that we need to turn, that we need to overcome this love affair with the world, this adultery with the world, that we might walk with God. Genesis 5.24, we read of Enoch, who walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch translated into the presence of God. These are the, the, the situations that we might be in. Walking with him in communion, or walking aside from him and wandering off somewhere, but the fear of the Lord still has a place in our hearts that we might be drawn back to him again. And then a relationship, not just of communion, but a relationship of counsel. The psalmist says in Psalm 16, verse 7, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. The Lord gives us counsel. He guides us, directs us. And of course, that counsel is in his word. How important it is that we read the word of God. That we lay it up in our hearts. There are times, of course, when we all come under uh, the attack of the wicked one and perhaps doubts enter into our hearts and fears enter into our hearts and what a tremendous thing is when you in meditation perhaps in the night seasons and you're thinking through the scriptures and you know the scriptures and verses come to mind and you begin to compare them together and ask the question well does the lord is it possible that the lord will forsake me and because we might know the scriptures the scriptures begin to weigh between themselves and we begin to think, well, there is no way really I can come to the conclusion that the Lord will forsake those whom he has touched. And neither can I come to the conclusion if God has touched my soul to know him and to save me, that he will then cast me off. I can't find that in the scripture. Even with Israel, with all of its corruptions, the Lord was faithful to his promises and fulfilled them the Lord is faithful always. He gives us counsel. He guides us and directs us. Jeremiah 32, 18. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompenses to the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel, mighty in work. For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Great in counsel and mighty in work. Because God sees all things, because God sees the works of the wicked, because God sees the works of righteousness and is able to counsel us. We need that counsel. We need to hear him. Blessed is the man that standeth not in the counsel of the ungodly. We, or walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. We don't want that counsel. We want the Lord's counsel. 
And then in this relationship, it is one of communion. It is one of counsel. It is one of comfort. Acts 9, 31, and had then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. You see, both things are held here. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. That we fear God, but we are comforted that the Holy Spirit is with us. That the promises of God are ours in Christ Jesus. He is our comforter. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. He is our comforter. And Jesus, of course, said to his disciples that when he went to his father, he would send them another comforter, one who would walk beside them, an advocate, one who would be with them. And as we walk through this relationship, this growth of friendship, we begin to know more and more of the Lord. And that brings us into a grace of fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship is a little more than a relationship. It's a little more than a friendship even. It is a a walking together in agreement. And in recognizing his care, we begin to love the Lord. Psalm 116 verse 1, the psalmist says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Now, uh, let's just go back to this verse where we began. And I've not really uh, expounded the verse itself here, but the thoughts which are contained in it. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Fear is the beginning of wisdom, though. And God begins with fear, and he leads us on this path until it comes into a love, a love for the Lord. The fear is still there, but it's the fear of one who is our Lord. He is our God. But the love casts out that fear because there is no torment anymore in that fear. The fear of the Lord has so much been swamped by the love for the Lord that the fear that God will judge us because we are walking contrary to him is gone because we're not walking contrary to him. We're walking with him. And we love him. And we desire to serve him. And we desire to keep his commandments. And we love those things also because he hath spoken them. And this is the grace of fellowship now. We are fellows. Fellows. Fellows, of course, with God as sovereign and superior over us but nevertheless walking together that we might know the blessing of his presence the grace of fellowship recognizing his care responding to his call the lord said to peter simon son of jonas lovest thou me and peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time lovest thou me and he said unto him lord thou knowest all things thou knowest that i love thee And Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. You see, we are not to be doing the commandments of the Lord just because they are the commandments of the Lord. We fear not to do them. But we do the commandments of the Lord because we love him and we love his commandments. Oh, how I love thy law, David says. 
But Jesus himself said to me, said to us, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And again, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And so here is a, here is a sign then that we love the Lord because we keep his commandments. Not because we fear not to keep his commandments, not because we fear his judgment upon us, but because we love his commandments and we love him. And we desire to walk with him and to know the fullness of his blessing. And we become regulated by those commandments. In 1 John 5, just the next chapter from our text tonight, in 1 John 5 and verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. It's not a statement, his commandments are not grievous. It is saying that we keep his commandments and they don't grieve us. We are not grieved to keep his commandments. It's not thinking, oh, do I have to do this? Do I have to go to church? Do I have to come into, into God's house on the Sabbath day? Do I need to keep it holy? It's not a grief to us because we love him. We desire to be amongst God's people. We love to hear his word. We want to hear from him. We want to know how the Lord has blessed our brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to know how the Lord has prepared the minister's heart to bring a word which you've been praying about throughout the week because you love him. And you come in and the word is spoken and you think that's just exactly what I needed tonight. Not because the minister knew what you needed, but because you had asked the Lord to speak to you. His commandments are not grievous. And John, again, in verse 2, says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So we begin with fear, the grip of fear, which takes hold of us and causes us to fear God. And we begin to walk with him. And as we walk with him, we begin to grow to know him. And we begin to understand him. And we begin to see his love for us, his care for us, the counsel which he gives us, the comfort which he is to us, the communion that we have with him. And we grow to love him. And as we grow to love him, we desire more and more of his righteousness and less and less of the corruption of the world. And the world begins to grow dim. And the lights of glory begin to appear. Like the aurora over the horizon, the lights of heaven, and we desire to be with him in glory. The greatest way to know the blessing of the Lord is to love him. We need to grow through these things. And the scripture says to us here in verse 19, in the very next verse, we love him because he first loved us. From the point that the fear of the Lord came upon us, we begin that path where we might serve him. Do we serve him tonight? Do we love him? tonight perhaps you're still on the journey perhaps we're still in the fear phase a phase perhaps that fear phase has lasted a long time because you never really walked with him properly and you've never really communed with him or taken his counsel 
and known his comfort. But if you started that journey and you fear God, then it's time to press on. Time to press on to get to know the Lord. Time to bring before the Lord everything. Just to speak to him about everything. People say, well, what do I pray about? Everything. Everything. Tell him everything. Tell him everything that's happened in the day. Tell him all your fears. Tell him all your worries. Tell him all your sins. He's not going to be shocked by some sin that you've committed because he knows you've committed it. And he saw not just sin, but he saw the heart behind the sin. There is nothing that we cannot bring before him. And the more we commune with him, the better we come to know him and to love him and to deal with the situations of this life. May the Lord bless us as we learn the perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torments but the love of God brings forth righteousness unto eternal life let's pray our father we give thanks for that walk we thank thee lord for the guidance which thou dost give from that first terror of hearing that we are sinners and that the judgment of God rests upon us to that day when we begin to love thee and desire thee and walk with thee and know the love of God which casteth out fear. Lord, we pray that we might all know that peace, a peace, O Lord, which passeth the knowledge of this world, a peace, O Lord, which is a peace knowing that we will come by and by into the presence of the Lord to dwell with thee in that peace and fellowship and communion forever. Lord, touch our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.